Friday, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of the Frarian Smith Podcast. It has finally arrived. Bowl season gets started later today when number 24 Troy takes on number 25 UTSA in the Cure Bowl in Orlando, Florida. But in today's episode, Caden, we'll preview the Myrtle Beach Bowl with the help of two great guests, ESPN analyst Eric McLean and UConn head coach Jim Mora. Both stopped by for this episode to talk about the matchup. This matchup, Caden's going to feature the Marshall Thundering Herd, coached by Charles Huff, taking on the UConn Huskies and their head coach, Jim Mora, in one of the historically funnest, if that's even a word, bowls each season. Caden, I'm really excited to see the young quarterback matchup in this game, as well as the strong run games of both sides. What has you most excited about this matchup? Yeah, both of these teams, I think, have very similar identities when you look at their identity with running the ball and hanging their hat on defense as well. I think it's going to be in the trenches matchup where the quarterback play will be able to elevate the teams, obviously, per usual for both of these squads. But I think in the trenches, offensive line versus defensive line, linebackers versus running backs, that'll be a huge part of this game. So I'm really just looking forward to the physicality and the edge that both of these teams have up front. We had Eric McLean join us on the podcast to talk about this matchup. And Eric McLean is one of the most respected voices in college football. After an outstanding career for the Clemson Tigers, he's transitioned into the media where he now is a key contributor on the ACC network, including on the network's signature, the Huddle Show that airs on Friday evenings and Saturday mornings throughout the fall. Mac, as his friends call him, also serves as one of the top game analysts at ESPN. In this interview, Eric previews the bowl matchup, talks about his past bowl experience, and even sheds some light on his alma mater's quarterback situation. You're really going to enjoy this interview with ESPN's Eric McLean. We're pleased to be joined by the one and only Eric McLean. A ton of experience playing at Clemson, a ton of spirits covering the ACC network. Eric, how you doing? Man, I am blessed, brother, to be with you guys, to be hanging out here on, on the podcast. It's been so fun to, to watch this thing grow from, from you guys and to see where it's gone. You've got a great, uh, great graphics guy. Man, he does some really good stuff for you. And uh, pleasure to be here with you guys today. Wait, isn't it the same graphics guy? <laughs> oh, man, it is. Dang, we let the secret out. Brett Gemmis, he's, uh, he's the man. <laughs> He's awesome. He's incredible. The best in the game, the best in the game. So, Mac, you've played in multiple bowl games in your career at Clemson. That's something that was very common for you guys. Do you have any bowl game in your mind in particular that stood out as your favorite to play in? And why was that? And also, we know the bowl gifts are a huge deal for these college athletes (laughs) in these games. Do you have one bowl gift or one piece of bowl swag that might stick out to you? Yeah, you, you know what's funny, man, is is I went to the Orange Bowl three times. You know, you're in college, and to go to the same one that much is kind of crazy, which is a good thing. Obviously, we were playing at a high level. Uh, my senior year, that was the, the first round of the playoff. Uh, so got to play in that, and, and that was a great experience. But honestly, the one that we had the most fun at was the Russell Athletic Bowl back in the day. I think now is the Cheez-It Bowl. Uh, just going to all those theme parks, being right there in Orlando. You know, we, we get the fast passes. We get to cut everybody in line. And, uh, you know, just to go to Universal, to Disney, everything right there, uh, that, that was a ton of fun. We had a lot of great memories there. Of course, with my brother, my brother-in-law, and, and great teammates. Um, but there's nothing like that Orange Bowl playing in a playoff, Clemson's first playoff, um, playing against Oklahoma. You know, beating them down pretty good uh, on offense and defense. So that's that's probably my favorite. Um, and then bowl swag, man. That there's when you go to the Orange Bowl, you get to go like to this room, which I think a lot of people do this now. A lot of different bowl games, and it's basically like a gift suite where you have X amount of points 
you get to go in there and you just take whatever you want, PS5, recliner, uh, watches, swag, whatever you want. They have it in there. And of course, the bigger items, that's like you just get one and that's it. You can get a couple of more smaller items if, if you do it up that way. I made a trade my senior year because I knew we were going to be good. I knew, you know, we were going to, you know, probably make it back to a bowl of that caliber. So with these guys on the team, I told them, listen, I'll give you all of my bowl gifts, whatever it is. You just have to give me two tickets each to every game this season. So that was the greatest switch that I made a trade with, with some tickets there. I like that. Starting starting early with your entrepreneurial <laughs> spirit right. and you walked away with some tickets, right. which probably there was more value. Uh, Mac, exactly. you're, you're an ACC guy. Uh, Kalen Laybourne for Marshall started his career at FSU, transfers to Marshall. He's had mm. just a fantastic year. I'm sure you've been watching some film in the lead up, your prep to this game. What makes him such a good runner? And then I wanted to just ask you, is there a current or former ACC running back that he compares to in your mind? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, you know, it, it's interesting when you look at him and all that time off that he took. You know, I really feel like he's playing his best football right now of this season. You know, just getting that rust off, getting, you know, kind of his vision, the feel for the game, you know, really back. And, and we've seen him, you know, the, the back half of the season almost look like a different running back in regards to comfort level and things of that nature. So for me, just, just seeing his vision and kind of instincts kick back in at a super high level. That's been very fun to watch. And, and then, you know, just his natural abilities as a runner. I mean, people, you know, kind of take that for granted, but th there is a feel that you have for this game. And, and to be able to do the things, you know, that he's done all year, it, it's impressive to see. When I think of, okay, you know, a guy that's a powerful runner, has breakaway speed, um, and, and is just a weapon. He reminds me of actually a teammate of mine in uh, Adam Good there at, at – uh, Clemson and, and a guy that that is at Virginia right now. He's a GA, uh, and, and so to see the things that he's been able to do, they they remind me a lot of each other. The way that they play at a super high level. And switching sides of the ball with Marshall, got to talk about their defense as well. It's just been an impressive group all season. If you look at the secondary all the way down to the defensive line, I think top to bottom, one of the better units, not only in the Sun Belt, but really across the country. If you look statistically, what's kind of stood out to you from that Marshall defense when you've watched film on them? Yeah, they're nasty, man. And they have the ability to be multiple in a hurry. You know, they, they can show you bear look. They can show you four down, three down, five uh, in, in the back with a three safety look. Uh, they have a really unique ability to kind of morph into whatever defense they want to be. You know, I, I watched them against JMU kind of full clip there. They went bare a bunch trying to shut down that run. I think that's what they're going to do against UConn. It makes sense. You know, UConn has, you know, like 20 different guys that have touched the ball 50 times or more running the football. So they're going to try to stop that. They're going to put a lot of bodies up there. Um, and at the end of the day, man, when you see the just the ability that these guys have, I think Owen Porter obviously screams off the tape. Like even when you talk to these coaches, he's the first guy they mention. He's from the area. It means a ton to him. Um, hard worker, smart guy. They, they said, listen, we'd hire him as a coach today, but he still has eligibility. He's still going to play. Um, so he kind of jumps off the screen. Neil, they say, is the alpha. He, he's kind of their big dog in the middle, really calls the defense, sets the tone. Um, and then also looking at Abraham, uh, you know, the, the linebacker there, that or DB, excuse me, that gets his hands on the football, tries to make things happen. Those kind of are the three components that, man, if, if those three are playing together at a high level, they're pretty hard to stop. And, and you know, just talking to, you know, coach and, and their D coordinator and all these guys saying, you know, what makes y'all so great? And he just said the way that we play as a unit, the, the fact that I rely on 10 other dudes at any given moment 
to do their job, to be in the right place, you have a high caliber group that's playing at a super high level. So that's why they've been so fun. Can't wait to see them in person. Well, I know as a, a former offensive lineman like you were, I'm sure you appreciate when you hear about units being so cohesive together. Um, Matt, Kate and I have both been really impressed with Cam Fancher's play since he took over as a starter in week, sw- in, in week six. Uh, as you've watched him, what have you liked about his game? Really, the, the fact that he's gotten better each week. And, and, you know, it's funny. The coaches talk about, well, a lot of people say we should have played him week one. He wasn't ready week one. You know, he, he wasn't. And, and, you know, Coach, really, when you look at it, of course, being from Alabama and, and you know, being a part of that run that, man, that they, they made a crazy change in a national championship game uh, and went to a guy that they felt at that point in Tua Tagovailoa was ready. And, and it took that long. Uh, and, and Coach Huff said it was a little bit, sped up for us, but we didn't feel like until that week that he wasn't ready to go to be the full-time guy. And I I think really what they're saying about him is there's been times where we can give him a little and we can give him a little more and we can give him a little more. And now we're at a point where we trust him with the playbook and and the things that he sees the game has slowed down for him. Um, I love his dual threat ability. I mean, they're going to run him there. They've run him, uh, you know, a bunch this year, hundred attempts. Um, So he's going to be a part of that. Uh, I think at the end of the day, do not give this UConn team any extra life. Do not give them any turnovers. Do not give them the football. Like, try to protect that thing. Rely on your great defense and uh, make sure you protect it. And he's, he's done a pretty good job of that. Yeah, Cam's evolution throughout the season has definitely been a fun thing to watch for that Marshall team. And switching to UConn, I mean, this is a team that didn't compete in 2020, then in 2019 and 2021 combined went 3-22, and 22, and then Jim Moore kind of turned things around for this program. What could you say about him and being able to turn this program around that people probably know a lot more for basketball now but get to tune into them watching a bowl <laughs> game this weekend? Man, it, it's been very impressive to see with with massive wins over Boston College, over Liberty, and, and the Liberty game. I mean, to become bowl eligible, there's a lot riding on that. Uh, these guys haven't been to a bowl since 2015, uh, have never beaten Boston College. And, and so to be able to do you know two things of that caliber, you got to be excited. I mean, you have to be over the moon of what the future is going to look like. And then you start jumping into their personnel and seeing who's doing it. They're so young. These guys – True freshman at quarterback, true freshman at running back, freshman on the offensive line, a, a true sophomore wide receiver and Aaron Turner that they love, that they feel really good about how dynamic he is as a player. So to me, man, the future is super bright. You obviously need a little luck with health and, and staying healthy uh, to, to make things happen. But if they can go out in the portal and get a couple pieces, I mean, look out. Who, who knows what they can do? You get a little belief and a little confidence. Uh, things can turn around quickly in this new day and age. Hey, we couldn't bring one of the best offensive linemen in Clemson history on the podcast without talking about some offensive line play. And when you look at UConn, they're one of the best in the country at keeping teams off of their quarterback. They haven't given up many sacks this year. Uh, What makes that unit so good? And in particular, what have you liked about Christian Haynes? Yeah, you know, I I think a little bit about it. There's a mobile piece with the quarterback with Zion and and the things that, you know, he's able to do and, and escape kind of some pressure there. They also don't Throw it a ton. So, so that opportunity to be sacked is, is certainly minimized uh, by, by the team that they play and the things that they do. That They've nearly run it double the amount that they have passed it. So I, I think when, when you look at that, obviously uh, it, it's a good thing. But I always remember, man, my playing days, I look back there. I see Taj Boyd. I see Deshaun Watson. I, I can make a mistake up front, and, and I'll be just fine knowing that my quarterback's going to make me right at the end of the day. 
For sure. And you talked about it a little bit before, but this UConn team has three really impressive wins in games that they weren't favored at all. When you look at the Boston College game, the Fresno State game, that Liberty upset win. What do you think has been the main factor when you watch them perform in these games where they're not really favored being able to win and pull off those upsets? Yeah, Caden, as you know, it's uh, go get the football, go get turnovers. And that's exactly what they did in all those games. They were able to make some crazy plays. They also were in the right place, right time. Uh, you know, kind of falling into some interceptions there. So that's why I kind of mentioned, if you're Marshall, do not do that. Do not fall into that trap. Do not be susceptible to giving them the football because they took advantage of it. I mean, we we saw a guy in Victor Rosa, the, the young running back, just go off against Boston College. Looked very impressive. Same thing with Liberty, uh, the, the way that he was running the ball with those extra possessions, uh, you know, that his defense was able to create for him. When I look at a guy like Jackson Mitchell, 133 tackles on the season. I mean, this guy's all over the place. Four and a half sacks, interceptions, five fumble recoveries. This dude has a knack for the football, and he's going to find it. So he's been a big piece for them. Looked it for him to have a massive day as he wraps it up. This is not your first time broadcasting the Myrtle Beach Bowl. Uh, you've been to you know Myrtle Beach multiple times. Go ahead and tell our listeners what are some things that you're going to try to do while you're in town, some of your favorite <laughs> stops in Myrtle Beach. Yeah, man. First of all, you got to get the saltwater taffy. I mean, you, you have to do it. it. It's so good. It's so unique to that area. Uh, there, there's a giant Ferris wheel. You got to go check that out. It's really cool, especially at night uh, to, to see that and, and and that deal. And then just the the true like tourist nature of Myrtle Beach. You can get the spray t-shirts. You can get all the knickknacks. It's not stuff you'll probably hold on to for a long time, but while you're there, It's a lot of fun, and you just have to do it. You just have to totally immerse yourself into the way of life in Myrtle Beach and also get some good seafood. There's some good crab restaurants down there that you can get fired up pretty quick. I expect you and Marty and McGee to have some of those spray-on T-shirts for the game and some of the broadcasts. I know that's something y'all did in the past. But, Mac, we couldn't let you get off of here without talking about your alma mater, Clemson. Y'all had a big win in the ACC championship led by freshman quarterback Cade Klubnick. Is the Cade Klubnick era beginning now? And what do you expect from this guy moving forward in this Orange Bowl matchup and ahead of him in his career at Clemson? Yeah, you, you know, it's it's interesting, man, because I can take this uh, a couple of different ways here, right? One of it, I can be the the Clemson fan and, and super excited. Man, you see a guy like that, you get fired up. The offense looks completely different. Looks like a lot of the offenses that I played uh, with, uh, the, the mobility that he has, the arm talent, the touch that he can put on the football Clemson hasn't seen that in two years. And, and I said this statement after the first game uh, against Georgia Tech when he goes in, very first drive, Clemson walks down the field, just looks so fluid. I said, wow, that, that looked really different than any game that we had or any drive that we had seen so far this game. That was probably DJ's worst game up until about uh, the end of the season there. Same thing was true against North Carolina. He goes in, walks down the field for seven points. And uh, man, just to see him is very impressive. Now, when I put my analyst hat on, I look at who he was playing. I look at North Carolina being the worst defense in the ACC, one of the worst passing defenses in the entire country. So you have to take it with a little grain of salt. Was he able to do that because of who he was playing or because who he is? And we'll see a little bit about that in Tennessee. Now, Tennessee is a better defense in regards to keeping you out of the end zone, but they're still giving up 400-plus yards a game. So – Will we see Cade have similar success? I think so. Uh, who opts out? You know, for Tennessee, we, we've seen half the offense is gone. How many defensive guys are going to follow suit? Clemson announced, uh, you, you know, earlier this week that, you know, they're losing a couple guys. Miles Murphy's moving on. He's not going to play. 
Trenton Simpson is going to be out with, with an ankle injury, so he will not play, and I assume he's going to go on to the NFL. So it's going to be a good matchup, but a lot of attention, man, moving forward is going to be on Cade. And absolutely, that era you know, started against uh, the Tar Heels in the ACC championship. Hey, I don't know what it is about Clemson quarterbacks and that North Carolina defense. You look at what Cade Klubnick did and then Chase Bryce all the way back against North Carolina early on in the season. So there's something to be said about that. Well, Mac, we really appreciate you taking some time to jump on. We've appreciated kind of the the help and support that you and Kelly have given us as we've gotten this underway uh, and look forward to uh, touching base with you in the future. No doubt, brother. Y'all keep going, man. It's been fun to follow, fun to see, and uh, to the moon, man. We'll meet y'all there. Caden, how much fun was that? Mac always brings the energy. I loved hearing the high praise that he had for Kalen Laybourne and how his season has gone. And I also really appreciated his entrepreneurial spirit, selling his bowl gifts to get more tickets during the season. That was a big-time play. Yeah, on my past experiences in these bowl games, I've definitely heard of people exchanging points, trading points with each other for money, but I have never heard someone trading them for tickets. That's a very heady and veteran move out of Eric McLean, and he definitely got me even more excited about this matchup and also maybe having some regret about how I went about my points when I was a player. Hey, well, you can't redo it, but uh, maybe you can give that idea to future people, maybe people who listen to this podcast. But Caden, one of the things he talked about most in that preview was the running back rooms from both sides. And let's go ahead and preview the run game here before we get into our complete preview at the end of this episode, because this run game should be electric from both sides. For Marshall, you've got guys like Rasheen Ali, Kalen Laybourne, UConn, you're going to see young guys like Victor Rosa, Devontae Houston. Uh, but for Marshall, it all starts with Kalen Laybourne. We've talked about him all season long, Caden. He has been a workhorse over 51% of the team's carries this year, top 15 in the NCAA in rushing. And then now you add a guy like Rasheen Ali, who you know most people have almost forgotten about, but he led D1 in rushing touchdowns last year. He's coming back from that injury, that pairing. They've combined for 19 touchdowns on the ground this year. And this is a team, Caden, that runs for about 200 yards per game, which was second in the Sun Belt this year. Expect Marshall to bring a heavy dose of the run game in this Myrtle Beach Bowl. 100%. You look at this Marshall team, they have not strayed away from their run game at all. It's been one of the more consistent things we've seen in the conference week after week. They're going to lean on their run game. They're going to lean on their guys up front to push for penetration, get your get their guys in the backfield, four, five, six-yard chunk plays and really be able to control the clock. I think the reason why Marshall's been able to go on this tear at the end of the season is just their ability to simply run the ball along with their great defense. But them running the ball just allows them to control the clock and control the game. And really, even if they're only up a touchdown, two scores, they'll always feel like they're in control when they run the ball. And you talk about it, the new addition now with Rasheen Ali back in the lineup, even at the beginning of the season, had a less mobile quarterback in Henry Columbia, and now you have Cam Fancher in the lineup who can run a little bit. Week after week, you can kind of see that a little bit less is being put on Kalen Laybourne, but there's always going to be on a ton of this on his plate. But going into this game, knowing that you have two other big-time running threats will be huge. But on the UConn side of the ball, they have a ton of running threats. You talked about those young running backs. A lot of different body types, a lot of different skill sets from those guys. They've all popped for 400, 500 yards this season total. And I think them having a rotation kind of figured out at the end of the season has really been playing in their factor and their benefit. And I think the biggest question for them is going to be, how are they going to play in now the biggest game of their careers? They're freshmen, they're sophomore guys. They're not used to playing in bowl games against a defense that is as elite as Marshall. So I'm very curious to see how that young group of running backs at UConn performs in this one. 
Yeah, that will be, I think, the biggest storyline of this game, Caden. And I know Eric was exaggerating when he said that 50 guys had run the ball for uh, UConn this year. So I actually went back and counted being the numbers guy that I am. They've had 12 different players with a carry this season. Uh, you mentioned some of the young guys. Guys like freshman Victor Rosa leads the team with 561 yards and nine touchdowns. Then you look at a guy like sophomore Devontae Houston, who has 79 carries and three touchdowns over 538 yards. And then on top of it, if you want to keep going, Carter Nathan, Robert Burns, they've each run for over 60 attempts this year. Oh, and by the way, their quarterbacks run it 84 times. They have five guys who consistently get carries, and that really could cause some problems for Marshall's defense, I think. It could. And when you look at the numbers for all those running backs, a big key for them is that they're all rushing for about five to six yards of pop. So I feel like these guys, when they get their hands on the ball, they're young and hungry and scrappy. They're making the most of their opportunities. When there's not a hole, they're taking advantage of it, making them whole for themselves. And when there is a hole, they're taking advantage of that and exploiting it, falling forward and doing what they have to do to keep the chains moving for this team. So I think if these explosive plays from these guys, I mean, these guys have ripped off 60, 50, 70 yard touchdowns left and right as well that have come up for huge Huge for them, particularly in the upset wins that they have. I think Marshall's going to have their hands full because if they do stop one guy, it's looking like another one can come off the bench and make some things happen too. But thankfully for Marshall, they're not used to, they're very much used to playing against good running back play. They see it every day at practice. So I think that's another reason why this position is going to be such a big key because it's clearly something that both teams both value and have a lot of strength in. Yeah, it will definitely be something to keep our eye on. We'll talk a little bit more about this matchup in a few moments. But Caden, let's get to our next interview Jim Mora will be our guest, and his name is synonymous with winning after a lengthy NFL coaching career that included stints as the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons and the Seattle Seahawks. Jim left to be the head coach of UCLA in 2012. After being away from the game for several years, he reappeared in Stores, Connecticut to lead the UConn Huskies this season. After inheriting a program that had gone just 3-22 and in the previous three seasons, Coach Mora has guided the program to one of the best turnarounds in college football this season. His team secured upset wins over Fresno State, Liberty, and even an ACC opponent in Boston College on the way to their first bowl game since 2015. His team now, Caden, will look to cap off their turnaround season with a win on Saturday. Caden, tell us a little bit more about what we heard in this interview. It was great talking to Coach Moore. His resume obviously speaks for itself. He spent numerous years in the NFL, numerous years of the power five level and now seeing him come down to the independent level and help this UConn team turn some things around has truly been amazing you can hear some of his experience we talk about his experience at the NFL level at the college level what makes this team so special and what launched them and projected them into bowl contention and now they're in a bowl for the first time in a long time it was great to hear coach Moore's both wisdom and just his clear fingerprint and impact he's had on this program so without further ado let's get to our interview with the one and only coach Jim Mora. Coach Mora, first of all, congrats to you and your team for all the success this season, and also a special congratulations on becoming the first non-Sunbelt coach to both be invited and appear on the Frarian Smith podcast. That is a great compliment right there, man. I don't know about the success on the season, but just to be on the show, thank you. <laughs> well, that, that means a lot. I'm sure it's going to go in the trophy case next to some of those NFC South championships, but Coach, uh, I wanted to just ask you, you guys played three teams that were at one point in the top 20 in the first month of the season, Syracuse, Michigan, NC State. Uh, what did you learn about your team early on in the season during that stretch? <laughs> on game day, I learned that it was 
some tough sledding. But, you know, I also saw that it was a resilient team. Um, they weren't going to fall into the old, oh, here we go again thing. You know, same old UConn. Um, they built, you know, up a resistance to that. And uh, they were able to reset quick and, you know, get back at it. And I appreciate that about these guys. And coach, y'all finished the season very strong. You won five out of the last seven games and since October 1st. And what do you think has led to the turnaround of this team, kind of the resilience and what was able to push y'all, make a late push during, during the stretch of the season? You know, it, it was going through that gauntlet early. We played Utah State. They were in the top 25. And then, as you guys said, Syracuse, Michigan, and NC State were all in the top 20 when we played them. And, you know, it would have been easy to kind of get down. But our guys, for some reason, they – they just had a belief that we could, we could, you know, become successful or at least, you know, get to six and six. We wanted to be better than that, obviously. Um, it's just the, the attitude of the players, you know, they just, they just never stopped working, believing their attitude never changed. It would have been easy to get down and they just didn't do it. And I think that, that helped us have some success, you know, through the later part of the year and, and then maturing, you know, we have a freshman quarterback who finally played some games. We have, some young players at other positions that have finally played some games, getting that game experience always helps. Coach, you know, one of the biggest wins of the season was the upset win over Liberty. It was the first win for a UConn program against a ranked opponent since 2015, and you guys secure this bowl opportunity with that victory. Um, you haven't been with the program very long. How big of a win was that for the program for this team? It was big because it, it made us bowl eligible. And now we, we weren't guaranteed a bowl because we're independent. And, uh, you know, we went out the next week and lost to Army, which was really disappointing. So it kind of, you know, it kind of put a damper on the excitement we were feeling. But that day, that win, that was big for this football team. It was big for this program. And it, I think it showed these guys what we're capable of. Uh, and and it, it gave them hope, you know. And as long as you got hope and you work hard and you have a good attitude and you set high standards and high expectations, you got a chance. And coach, it's no secret you're playing a team in this game that likes to run the football. They're a top 20 rushing attack in Marshall. They have Rasheen Ali back in the lineup. They have Kalen Laybourne. Even their quarterback, Cam Fancher, can do some stuff with his legs. How do you plan on stopping down this team and that rushing attack they have? I don't think you can stop them. You know, I think we got to try to slow them down, um, somehow find a way to get some negative plays. I mean, the key to playing a team like this, you know, the, you, you know, you mentioned the, those three guys and they all present different problems. And so, you know, it's about being fundamentally sound, staying square, um, being in your gap. The, you know, the, the runners are patient. They wait for the hole to open. They can take it front side. They can bend it to the back side. Uh, so we, we have to play aggressive but patient. And that's a dicey combination right there, you know, because if you duck in, you know, you think the ball's going somewhere and, you start to pop your gap, all of a sudden they're going to bring it back where you're supposed to be, but you're not. And then they hit the home run ball. But, you know, you're talking about three legitimate, legitimate threats to run the ball. And, you know, besides their offensive line doing a great job, their receivers do a hell of a job downfield blocking. So it's a it's a heck of a chore. Now, Coach, just kind of a follow-up on that. Obviously, you know, you left the NFL in 2009 when you were with the Seahawks, but is there a running back maybe, you know, specifically talking about Kalen Laybourne that maybe he reminds you of maybe from your pro days? Um, yeah, he's got a little Emmett in him, and he's got a little uh, Barry in him. And, uh, and he's got like – like I, I don't like to compare college guys 
to pro guys in terms of their, you know, skills, you know, not skill sets, not really, talent. Let's say talent, skill set. You can have the same skill set. Uh, I think he's very talented. I think he's got components of both of those guys. You know, like Emmett was patient, and then Emmett would hit it. Um, you know, Barry had the ability to kind of bounce, 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 and then come to the backside and break it deep. I'll tell you the other guy, you know, and uh, Caden, you'll like this, is he's got a little work done to him. You know, work was, you know, patient, slippery. And then when, when the hole opened, he'd hit it hard. And um, so I, I think those three guys off the top of my head, like I like watching him run because I think he's a big-time runner. I'm not going to necessarily like watching him run on the 19th. You know what I'm saying? But, like, I respect good football and good football players, so I like watching him run. Yeah, I can definitely, you know, appreciate the candor there. Uh, Coach, your team's run game is no slouch. You guys have run for over 175 yards in six of your last seven games. Maybe that is part of the reason for some of the resurgence at the end of the year. Uh, How do you guys plan on finding success against what is a very good rushing defense for Marshall? Yeah, I mean, their run defense is outstanding, which leads to them being the best third-down defense in America. You know, uh, shoot, we got to block them, man. We got to get hats on them. Our running backs have got to do a good job of of reading the blocks and finding the creases. We got to have great ball security. We got to try to fall forward, not get knocked back, just grind it out. If we can have a little success throwing the ball, maybe that'll help a little bit. But, I mean, it's a tall task. I mean, you you know, this is like going to be like an old-time football game, right? I mean, this is two teams that like to run the ball and run the ball well. Two defenses, you know, I mean, they're really, really outstanding on defense. We're growing on defense. Uh, it's it's like old, it's old-time football, which, you know, you guys are younger. Maybe you want to see the, the ball flung all over the yard. I like, I like, like old-school football, so this will be fun. Now, Coach, I'd, I have to ask this question. I grew up in the Atlanta area, and I'm a, I'm a Giants fan. I have family in New York, and that's who I support. But growing up, man, I was a big Falcons fan, and I would go out to your training camps and get to meet some of those players and just seeing guys like the Michael Vicks, the Algie Crumplers, the Warwick Duns, like you mentioned. Those just my childhood team that I loved watching. So I just had to ask, what kind of stood out to you as far as being a coach and when you look back on your coaching days when you were the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons in 2004, 2005, 2006? Well, you mentioned three guys, especially, you know, Michael and Warwick and Algie and then Keith Brookings and Pat Kearney and D'Angelo Hall. And, you know, um, that 2004 season where the year before I got there, I think they were five and 11 and we went 11 and five and then went to the NFC championship game. And that that game versus the Rams and the divisional game, we ran for like 320 yards. And then, uh, you know, I, I would say the biggest, the most disappointing loss in my career was absolutely that Philadelphia game in the NFC championship game. And here we are, that was 2004. So that was 18 years ago. I've never watched that game. I've never watched the TV replay. I've never watched the game film. And I don't know that I ever will, you know, it was like, that was a brutal day, you know, and I felt like you, you, I don't know how old you were. How old were you then? If it was the 2004 season, I was six years old. That was when I just started watching football. Oh, and then you won't remember, but like we closed the gap and we had a chance at halftime, you know, coming out in the second half. And I thought, I thought, man, you know, we got a shot here. And then uh, they hit a couple plays. And I think Mike threw an, an interception on an over route and uh, we couldn't get it done. But, you know, I, I enjoyed being in Atlanta. I loved living there. Like, yeah, I thought it was a great place to live. I wanted to raise my family there. 
unfortunately things didn't work out, but I would have been happy living in, in Georgia forever. I think it's, you know, it's a great state. The child in me and all my friends would be remiss if I just asked for for one Michael Vick story. He's He was my favorite quarterback growing up. I know he was a lot of people my age's favorite growing up. Do you have anything that stands out about him as just coaching him, maybe his athletic ability, maybe off the field? Well, you know, unfortunately, people remember Mike. Some, well, I, I think it's going away, but, you know, the, the dog fighting thing. I can tell you this, like the way I always felt about Mike is I have four kids and I always felt like I didn't let Mike Vick babysit my kids. You know, like I, I had that kind of faith in him and I thought he was, I still think he's a good man. I'm, I'm, you know, we all know what happened there. Um, and I think he's, he's certainly paid his price and in, in his work towards redemption. But um, like there wasn't a day in practice that he didn't do something that he, your mouth just didn't drop and just go, did he just do that? Did he really just do that? But the, the kind of the story I like to tell is uh, one of my very close friends, he's now deceased, but Greg Knapp, um, he was the last the quarterback coach of the Jets before he passed. Uh, he was the, the the offensive coordinator of the Falcons, and uh, he'd been a quarterback coach. He'd coached uh, Steve Young, and, he, you know, he's a pretty established guy. And uh, we're playing the Carolina Panthers in 2004. It's like fourth down. And if we, we score, I think, I don't know if we win the division, but we, we're getting close to clinching it. And if we don't make it on fourth and 10, game's over, we're going to lose. And we call timeout, and Napper brings Mike over to the sideline. And he gives him all the coach speak, you know, look here, look there, do this, here's your read, blah, 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 blah. And then Mike starts to run on the field, and I go, I go, Mike, come here. And he goes, yeah, and I go, hey. If you don't like it, just freaking run. And I'm not sure I said freaking. I said, if you don't like it, just freaking, you know, effing run. And he drops back, looks around, the middle opens up. He runs, freaking stretches out and gets the ball in the end zone, keeps his knee like that far off the ground, and we win. And I look, Napper's pissed at me because I told him that. I said, don't overcoach a guy like that, <laughs> you know. Or I was telling uh, our quarterback yesterday, Zion, he was kind of aiming some throws and thinking too much. I go, can I tell you what I used to tell, tell Mike Vick? And he go, yeah, what'd you tell Mike Vick? I'd say, Mike, just freaking huck it. <laughs> you know, great, great coaching points, right? Huck it. If you don't like it, just run. Detail. Still on the details, guys. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Coach, I really appreciate uh, you giving us a little bit of a history lesson. So thank you so much uh, for your time time and certainly looking forward to watching you guys play in the bowl game and uh, Kate and I both uh, wish you best of luck thanks Hayden thanks for having me on appreciate you guys Caden, how much fun with that I think 10 year old Caden and Noah would have been shocked to be talking with Jim Moore I remember growing up watching some of those Falcons teams but I loved hearing his thoughts about the UConn his UConn team's turnaround this year and even hearing some of those Michael Vick stories, that just brought me back to some of my childhood. No, all my childhood friends in Atlanta will thank me very much for getting some of that nice key information out of Coach Moore from just a very special time, not only in the city of Atlanta, just in football with a guy like Michael Vick taking the league on by storm. But no, you talk about Coach Moore, man. You can clearly tell he's a guy who just built the culture up at this program. And you start a year one and four, that's not a very easy thing to do. And this team has had bad records in the past, but for them to rally and go five and two to finish the season, I think really says a lot about not only him, but his team and how he's really had a great impact on them as far as their mindset and week after week, just feeling like they can win just about any game they're playing in.
Okay, and I got to admit, one of the things that most impressed me about Coach Mora was how technically sound he was. We had some technical difficulties in this interview. He quickly pulled out his cell phone, downloaded the app, and next thing you know, we were recording the interview. So a big shout out to him. Uh, but, Caden, let's talk about this Myrtle Beach Bowl here. This will be the sixth straight year that Marshall's in a bowl game. UConn, as I mentioned a moment ago, will be playing in their first bowl game since 2015. I did find it interesting, though. Marshall is actually 0-3 in their last three bowl games. And, Caden, when you look at these two teams, they've only met one prior time, and it was actually in a bowl game back in 2015 at the St. Petersburg Bowl, which was played in Tropicana Field, the home of the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, or then Tampa Bay Devil Rays. Uh, UConn actually lost that game 16-10. Caden, one final note about this game. Marshall, 12-6 and all-time in bowl games, so a couple of good notes to keep your eye on. But, Caden, here's what I'm keeping my eye on. We've got two true freshman quarterbacks in this game. Marshall's Cam Fancher, who took over as the starter in Week 6, threw for over 1,400 yards and eight touchdowns while also running for 450 yards in a score. Uh, and then for UConn, you've got Zion Turner, another young kid out there, 1,241 yards through the air, nine touchdowns. He's been lethal on the ground. He has, though, had some interception issues. He's thrown seven of those. This true freshman quarterback battle is going to be a lot of fun to watch in this game. Yeah, and when you look about it, we've talking about Cam Fancher all season, his evolution and his growth as a quarterback. And I think it was interesting. We always said, well, the big what if for Marshall would be if he started off the season as the starter, what would his year look like? And then Eric McLean comes on here and says maybe he wasn't ready to start at the beginning of the season. And as the weeks go on and as he gets more and more reps and experience, maybe he was right. Maybe Mac is on to something. And now that Cam Fancher's played in these last couple games for Marshall, led them to victories in their last three, I think that him and his level of confidence are really starting to show compared from in the beginning of the season when he was coming off of the bench. And I think when you look at the other side of the ball, UConn's quarterback, Zion Turner, you have to give your hats off to a day one freshman starter who's coming into a season having to play against some of the top teams in the nation. I mean, this kid's a freshman. He's played Syracuse. He's played Michigan. He's played NC State. This kid, as a young guy, it's not a very easy environment to be in on the road going up against some of those teams. So I have to give credit to him for making the most of what he has on his team. His team very much likes to run the ball, so there's not a ton of responsibility on him throwing the ball, but just the experience he's gaining is huge. And I feel like him being able to lead this team to some big wins and get them to the six win mark, their guys clearly trust in him as well as a freshman. They're very young around him as well. So I'm looking for him to hopefully try to stamp off this year right and play, kind of make a statement for this UConn program moving forward that has him at the helm of the offense and a ton of other young weapons around him as well in their first season, really getting a lot of play time. That's an underrated point that you just made when you talked about the schedules, Caden. This is a UConn team. They might have played one of the most challenging schedules. Being an FBS independent, they kind of play all over the place. And you mentioned some of the names, and then you add on Fresno State, Liberty, and others. This was a very challenging schedule that Zion Turner had to play through. Caden, another area, and I know Eric McLean talked about it briefly, and he loves talking about it, is the offensive line. And it's going to be key in this game. Marshall comes in. They've given up 35 sacks on the season. You don't like that number, but here's a number you will like, Caden. Just four sacks in their last four games. A lot of that has come since Camp Bancher became the quarterback. UConn, meanwhile, they've won one of the best offensive line units in the country this year. 17 sacks and much like Marshall, just four in their last four games. They've got a guy, Christian Haynes, who's an All-American at that left guard spot. But I really think the offensive line, because of the prevalence of the run game in this contest, is going to play a big role. 
Yeah, when you talk about Marshall's offensive line, I thought it was such an enigma and interesting thing to watch to start the season because in the running game, it's very clear that their offensive linemen can play downhill, they can get guys on their back, and they can get to the second and third level and finish blocks well to get those running backs, those lanes, get Kalen Laybourne, those 100-yard games back-to-back-to-back-to-back weeks. But in the passing game, they struggled, especially in the beginning of the season, in protection and I think you talked about their last three weeks they've been a very much improved unit I think the mobility of Cam Fancher has helped 100% and I think in this game will be very important to protect him just because I think it will be such an in the trenches battle between the linemen and the defensive linemen in this game that it's it's always going to be something of value but in games like this with the play style of these two teams having so much emphasis in the trenches it will be huge but I think you look at the other side of the ball for UConn it's really Kind of their bread and butter, and I would argue the strongest part of their team is that offensive line. Eric McLean talked about some of that inexperience they have. I mean, out wide, it's all sophomore receivers. The running back room, it's freshmen and sophomores. But when you look at the offensive line, it's one of the more experienced groups of the team. They have some transfers that have come in and played some juniors and seniors. So I think a lot's going to be on their plate in this game as far as being able to protect the quarterback and be effective in the run game. Because if you look at just all of the units in this game and the impact they can have and the youth versus experience aspect of it, you look at this offensive line for UConn and it's definitely a group that has some cohesion there that's already been built through years of probably some of those hard times when they weren't winning too many games and have now reached this point where they're in a bowl game. They're the oldest, more experienced guys on the field. I mean, all of the skill players in this game are probably still taking their gen ed classes. So these guys up front, it's going to be big for them to play big in this game and really look after those young guys around them. Hey, they might have some cohesiveness up front, Caden, but they are going up against a Marshall defensive line that has been one of the best in the country. Eric mentioned Owen Porter. I went and looked at his stats. 54 tackles this year, nine and a half sacks, 14 TFLs. He's lived in opposing teams' backfields. And then you add guys like Sam Burton, Kobe Cumberlander. Each have over five sacks this season. Uh, That unit has been really strong and is going to cause some issues. But then you look at UConn's side, Eric Watts is their best pass rusher, seven sacks this year. Uh, But I definitely think Marshall has a clear advantage here. They're top 10 in the country in sacks created this season from that defensive line position. Yeah, look, UConn has a a nice defensive line. I will say that they're good up front. Their front seven is elite, and they have a lot of good things going up there up front, especially when you watch how they've played against some of the higher level competition this year. But when it comes to defensive fronts and front sevens, If you look nationally, it's really hard to find a team that's much better than what Marshall does up front. I mean, you see their run-stopping abilities. I believe they're holding teams to only 88 rush yards per game. That's simply absurd. They're always doing their job run-stopping. And I think you talk about the Owen Porters and some of those guys they have up front. I think something that's very underrated that they do is they're just very gap-sound. They're very violent. When they're gap-sound, that allows guys like Eli Neal, like Charlie Gray, to rack up all those tackles that you see week in and week out. So this Marshall team up front, they're very hard to do things against as far as showing different looks in the run game, trying to give them a look they haven't seen before. They look like they've seen it all. If you pull two guards, if you pull one guard, if you try to run counter, they've seen every run scheme in the book and they're very gap sound. And when it comes to getting after the quarterback, they're very good at that too. And a lot of that is because they're so successful on first and second down. So I think if you look at this UConn team, they're going to have to be successful on first and second down, which is a tough ask. And then when that third down comes, they're going to have to do a great job holding up against some very, very good pass rushers. That will certainly be interesting. And Caden, if they're not able to hold up to those good pass rushers, let's step back a level, that second level of the defense. That's your linebackers. Marshall has a lot of talent there. You look at guys like Abraham Bouplan, Charlie Gray, Eli Neal, all have over 60 tackles this year. Uh, That pairing responsible for 22 TFLs this season and also has four interceptions. 
Meanwhile, you look on the UConn side of the ball and you've got a guy in Jackson Mitchell who's kind of like the Sun Belt's Jason Henderson all over the field, 133 tackles this year. Five fumble recoveries. That one stood out. Eight TFLs, four and a half sacks. And then it gets even better. Ian Swenson, 84 tackles. Brandon Boyer Randall with 88 tackles. This linebacker core for both sides is going to be a lot of fun in this matchup. You've been looking at my notes, Noah. I literally had Jackson Mitchell in my notes as the Jason Henderson of the Independent Conference. So he's been playing lights out this year. This guy clearly stands out on film for UConn. If you watch any of their games, big or small, whether they're playing in the biggest game of the season, fighting for bowl contention, or their earliest game in the season, this guy stands out in the film. He's a sideline-to-sideline guy. And I think you look at the other side of the ball, you mentioned some of those Marshall linebackers. They've been playing so well, one, because they're experienced guys. They've been in the system for a while. They know where they need to be. and those. Defensive linemen, like I said before, have made it very clean for them to really play with their hair on fire, hitting the hole, being where they have to be and playing sideline to sideline. But I think when you look at both of these linebacker units, they're both very good and they're both going to be very fun to watch. And they will also be a big part of this game just because of the running backs we were talking about before. The run game is going to be such a crucial part of this football game. And both sides of the ball are going to have their hands full playing with multiple different running backs, series after series, play after play. So I think if you look at the linebacker position, it's not only an elite position in this game, but one of the more important ones when you look at the personnel of this team. So look for some of these linebackers, maybe get their hands on the ball, maybe rip one out, keep the offense in front of them, keep the running backs away from that second or third level. That'll be big for these guys 100% in this game. And of course, as always, as a linebacker has to do, making sure everyone's on the same page around them. Okay, now everyone loves talking about the front sevens of defense, but I know you have a special place in your heart for talking about the secondaries on defense. And this is a loaded Marshall secondary safety, uh, Andre Sam, and you've got defensive back Stephen Gilmore, Micah Abraham, who've combined for eight interceptions. Marshall comes in top 10 in the country with 15 INTs. Then you look at Mar- or UConn, rather, and they have some just some tackling monsters in the secondary. You've got Durante Jones, 89 tackles, Malik Dixon Williams with 85 tackles. They've got three interceptions. Okay, and the only concern I have about the secondaries in this game is how much are they going to have to be utilized because we know that neither of these teams throws the football a ton. Yeah, that's he took the words out of my mouth. No, we know and we've talked all season about how prolific this Marshall secondary is and how great they are. And if you look at UConn, they don't throw the ball much. Their leading receiver has 462 yards and it's only down from there. So Aaron Turner and those guys out wide for UConn, they might not touch the ball a lot during the season, but they're probably going to touch it a lot less in this game. I mean, you talk about Micah Abraham and Stephen Gilmore on the outside. These dudes are going to play Press coverage, man coverage, they're going to feel very comfortable with those matchups. They're obviously great zone corners, too, and that's where you see a lot of the interceptions they've had this year. But I think in a game like this, when they're playing a team when they know they're going to run the ball, they're probably going to ask those two guys, hey, just clamp out those guys out out wide. We're not too worried about that, and let us focus on the box. And at the UConn side of the ball, you talk about some of that inexperience and some of that age that they've had on the offensive side. Well, a lot of it's president present in that defensive secondary as well. You have a guy like you talked about in Trey Wortham who plays corner for this team. He's a grad transfer from Delta State. He's the most experienced guy in that secondary, leads the team at interceptions. It starts and ends with him, and then from there, it trickles down to those other defensive backs, those young guys like Malcolm Bell, Malik Dixon-Williams, like you mentioned, Chris Sheridan. All those guys have six pass breakups each, and that's a very hard thing to do as a secondary to have that much consistency at the top of your lineup. So these guys can play well. They're good at breaking up balls. They make plays 
in the air when they have to, and they're very smart players. They don't give up very many explosive plays if you look at them, and obviously they're going to rack up their tackles because this is a team that does have an identity with stopping the run. So it's going to be interesting to watch both of these secondaries in this game that are obviously two great units, but just units that probably won't be tested too much in this game. But if they can make a play, it'll definitely be a key because you have to make the most of the opportunities when the ball is in the air in games like this. Well, I know that, Caden, you and I are big fans of old-fashioned smash-mouth football with good defensive battles, and if you're also a fan of that, this is going to be the bowl game for you, so make sure you're tuned in and watching this game on Monday. I'm going to be standing down on the sidelines getting some close-up views of this game, so we'll definitely have to bring a report back from Conway, South Carolina after the bowl games wrap up. Well, that will do it for our Myrtle Beach Bowl preview episode on the Ferrari and Smith podcast. We'd like to say a special thank you to ESPN analyst Eric McLean and UConn's Jim Moore, as well as Assistant Athletic Director Bill Peterson for helping make this episode possible. Before you go, don't forget that we'll be back with another episode on Monday where we'll preview the upcoming RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl featuring South Alabama and Western Kentucky that will take place on December 21st in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thanks so much for listening. We both Continue to enjoy these episodes of the Frary and Smith podcast, and we certainly hope you do too. If you did, take a moment and subscribe to the show on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you'll never miss another episode. Also, if you like today's show, take a moment and tell us what you liked by leaving a quick review on Apple Podcasts or by leaving a five-star rating on Spotify. Finally, if you still haven't, follow the show on Twitter at Prairie and Smith for all the latest Sunbelt football news and notes. You won't regret it. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>